0: First Communion centered around food, because food in antiquity was shared between equals and served by those of lower rank. So to break bread with the wrong people as friends, not charity or projects, would ruin you socially, because the people you broke bread with were seen as reciprocal exchanges that could benefit both of us, so you would never lower yourself, lower your entire family, your future prospects, just to include one person. Yet, Jesus offered a touch of divine grace working towards the reconciliation of all people, which is only accessible through the common, the vulgar, the mundane act of sitting around tables which ruin good reputations. This is a fairly new concept for me, because I was raised to see communion not as the common and the mundane, but as a sacred act. We would perform the ritual of communion, taking individual cups and our wafers. While well, listening to the pastor read from First Corinthians 11, For that which I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. Then we'd be implored to close your eyes and to take a moment. Is there any secret sins you need to confess to yourself? This is just between you and God. Because we know in 1127 it says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord a person must examine himself. So we would pause, reflect, and look up towards heaven. It was a personal moment between God and myself because no one could know if I had secret sin. No one could know if my act of taking communion was done in an unworthy manner. And it couldn't be done too often because again, it was feared that too often would take away sanctity that to make the breaking of bread common, would no longer allow it to be holy. It was a sacred, private, isolated time where we individually raised our eyes towards heaven. Yet Paul never asked us to look up. He called us to honor Jesus by lowering our eyes to see across the table where Jesus is still incarnate today. When I enter into the letter of 1 Corinthians, I'm drawn towards this community, confused about how to move forward. I witnessed an act of Eucharist or communion that wasn't private. It was an intimate act of grace, which lowered the powerful while elevating the powerless. At least, that is how it's supposed to work. But as we all know, the privileged, the powerful, those comfortable in the system as is, need help seeing that they are separated from Christ's table, that they are not partaking in the Lord's Supper, as long as they stay in their privileged power and comfort. And just in case we think that, well, that was then. We're not a segregated society. We're not stratified in the same way to where we have those that are the masters and those who are the enslaved. We are not the one that we say social economic levels define everything. I just want to take a brief pause to say, we still need to talk about it. Because these conversations still persist, they just get worded a little bit different. They no longer focus on the servant, the powerless, and the not-freed people. It is now on the LGBTQ inclusion and where women can be placed within rather than those servants. We say things like, they can be part of the congregation, but they cannot be leaders. They can join, but they are not full value-added members or when we listen to the social uprising around of the powerless saying we need change, we'll say, I'm sorry, the gospel's not political. It's intimate and private. We're looking to the spiritualized heaven, not to the spirit-filled material now. And it's always justified by the wisdom of the comfortable who need just a little more time. Because no inclusion can happen. The table can't be reset until I'm completely comfortable with it. So let's walk through a few lines of Corinthians and hear how Paul calls us to embody the communion. By becoming uncomfortable through lowering our gaze from heaven to see and be affected by the bodies gathered around the table. This requires critiquing the goal of seeing past color, sexuality, social location, economics. It requires us saying it's not enough just to see everyone the same because those who owned the tables and those who could not own the tables were not seen the same, and they had to be seen as their embodied existence was in order to reset. So we must see the full experience of each body and allow it to affect how we set the table for each other. But before jumping into 11, let's hear the gospel's framework presented in 1 Corinthians. In 125, Paul says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind, and the weakness of God is stronger than humanity. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, nor many noble or well-born. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The insignificant things of the world, the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify, undo, show to be worthless, the things that are. So in 26, when it says, not many of you are well-born or noble, it's implying that there's some of you that are. Probably the houses you're meeting in are from a more noble, well-born stance. And in 28, where it says, but the insignificant things, it builds a play here. So the weak will shame the strong, then the well-born in 26 will be undone by the insignificant. Or, if we're paying attention to the wordplay of Paul, it goes eugenis, which is good breeding, to agene, which is ungood, not, in the same way that there is a notion of gnosis, knowledge, and agnostic, the unknown. It's, it's a wordplay to where he's saying, following his wordplay, that the well-born will be undone by the low-born's inclusion. And this is precisely what was being denied, when the powerful, the privileged, those with tables, wouldn't let go of their privileged position. The well-born were not being undone at Christ's table, and therefore they were separating themselves from the Lord's Supper. As it says in chapter 11, Therefore, when you come together, is not to eat the Lord's Supper, For when you eat, each one takes his own first. And one goes hungry while another gets drunk. One comes impoverished and leaves without. And one is to the point of excess that consumes even what the weak could have. So just like in the outside structures that the non-freed people, the enslaved people, those without power, would have to wait until the masters, the householders, the privileged, got theirs first. He said this was a direct denial. And in 22, he goes on to say, for do you not have your own house to eat and to drink? Or do you so look down on the household of God and you shame those without? So do you have homes to drink at? Well, no, actually. If you come from those without, if you come from the powerless, you do not. So this could only be directed at those with enough rank, with enough money and privilege to be heads of households. This could only be directed at those who had choice. So we see that Paul is drawing from the very beginning of his epistle, from the work of God, which was supposed to be remembered and embodied around the table, Whereas 127 said, the weak of the world were chosen by God himself in order to shame the strong, to shame the ones with privilege, power, and demand. So the critique coming in 11 around the Lord's Supper, which was then making individual appetites, is the wrong people were being shamed. The powerful and those comfortable with the system, as it was, were not being challenged or affected. Those who had their own tables were allowed to continue in privilege without seeing, hearing, or being changed by the different bodies of experience around the table. Those with privilege did not delimit themselves to hold space for those without, because truly, they were the only ones who could. That in this society, they could not demand and say, you must create space for me at that table. Only those with power could say, I must pull myself back to make sure there's enough room for your inclusion. So, in the section, we see that communion was a promise to those around the table that we will continue the work of Jesus by examining ourselves, and thus we will eat from the bread and drink from the cup. For the one eating and drinking brings judgment upon themselves when they do not consider the body. Verse 28, where it says, to examine ourselves, is the way we continue the work, offers a key to knowing if we are embodying communion well. Because this section, which starts in verse 17, actually gets framed in this. In 19, it says, for it is necessary that you have factions among you, in order that those who are approved may be revealed among you. Now, those who are approved is the noun form of the verb found in twenty-eight. So the one being revealed to be approved by God are those that are examining their effect on others and considering the body of Christ. They are those that are saying, I will deny my own supper. I will not take what I have right to, to make sure that you have space. So it's a call to examine yourself is paying attention to how you hold space at the table. It asks, can you hear the marginalized, those kept outside, or see how your own privilege affects the table? Does your effect on community drown out or, and silence others in any place that you hold sway? Or do you amplify the voices that otherwise in the rest of society cannot be heard? Because if you cannot hear these voices... Paul's asking us to lower your gaze from heaven, to consider the body of Christ, to see where Jesus is incarnate now. And this is why we gather around the body and blood, the shared bread and wine, folks. We are not promising to change the world. We are promising by God's power to be changed in the world. We are promising each other to continue the work until reconciliation is real, until all our brothers and sisters are welcome and celebrated here. We are gathering to experience a moment of God's grace that remembers. Jesus didn't leave us doctrines to defend. He left us a people gathering around a table to experience. In bodies of humanities different than our own. That will be able to tell stories that we could not know ourselves. If we're willing to eat the Lord's Supper. Delimit ourselves to create room for their stories to be heard. So you are invited to become uncomfortable so that others can find their place with us. And with that, I want to leave us with a benediction. It's one of my favorite from our traditions. Because I think it gives the hope of communion of a gathered people around a table that would most likely say we shouldn't associate. And say in here the reconciling work of God happens as we break the bread and drink the wine. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. May God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor.